What's up, Irish fans, and welcome back to another episode of This Launcher Out. I'm your host, Jack Lenier, and we've got another great episode for you today. It has been a little bit since our last episode, and unsurprisingly, we have a lot of topics to get to. So Nathan Erbach is going to join the podcast a little bit later to discuss Notre Dame baseball, hiring a new head coach following the departure of Link Jarrett, conference realignment and college football and all of its implications, and some buzz about a couple of freshmen on the Notre Dame men's basketball team. Before we get to that conversation, we have a quick word about Anchor. I'm joined once again by my friend Nathan Erbach. Nathan, how are you doing? Jack, I'm doing well, man. It's uh, it's good to be back on the airwaves. It's been a while, I think, for the both of us. And uh, hopefully hopefully, my own podcast, Golden Homers, gets uh, gets going here again soon. But uh, I'm happy to, happy to talk a little Notre Dame uh, athletics here. Definitely. Always, always a good time catching up. Um, and yeah, I guess, like we said, it's, it's been a little while for both of us. Uh, hopefully we can uh, shake the rest off and get back into uh, mid-season podcasting form. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think rust is probably a, a good word to use. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got a, a few different topics that I wanted to cover with you today. Um the one that's probably going to command the biggest portion of our conversation is conference realignment. But before we jump into that, um, there was some ND baseball news that I wanted to make sure to get your thoughts on, uh, given that you work in baseball and I feel like you have some uh, expertise you can uh, shed there. So Notre Dame baseball made the first college world series since 2002 this season. Um, and, upset the top ranked team in the nation, Tennessee, uh, on their way to, to Omaha. Um, and then as was anticipated, their head coach link Jarrett ultimately decided to leave. Um, he went back to his, his alma mater FSU. Um, and that was, I mean, rumored as early as like a, a year ago. So wasn't a huge surprise there, but obviously given his success, um, uh, unfortunate to see him leave, but then just in the past week, I believe, um, uh, Notre Dame announced their new head coach. Uh, they're going to be hiring Sean Stifler, who was formerly the head coach of VCU. So, um, I guess if you want, you could share your thoughts on, uh, this past season as a whole and, um, what you think, um, uh, Sean Stifler might be able to achieve during his time at Notre Dame. Yeah, of course. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with, you know, Link Jarrett. I mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, obviously things have been trending really well for Notre Dame baseball since he arrived, I believe, after the 2019 season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You know, his first run at Notre Dame, they kind of had the shortened the shortened uh, uh, COVID season where they started off really hot and then it was canceled. Um, and then, you know, last year, 2021, they, you know, they barely missed out on a, uh, on an Omaha run and, you know, eventually lost to the, to the national champion, um, Mississippi state, you know, and then, and then this year, like you mentioned, they, they beat Tennessee, um, who was by far the number one ranked team in the country. A lot of people were already kind of pegging them as maybe the, one of the best teams of all time, if they were to go off and, um, and win in Omaha. Um, and then obviously, you know, after, after an opening win in Omaha, they kind of, you know, didn't play their best baseball, um, against Oklahoma and who was it? Texas A&M. 
specifically. I forget exactly who it was, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it's kind of funny cause link Jarrett, you know, I think FSU is going to maybe be the only job he ever left Notre Dame for, or at least anytime soon. And I don't, I, I wasn't really expecting FSU to, to fire Mike Martin Jr. on the time that they did. I mean, he had just gotten hired a few years ago, his dad being, you know, a longtime coach there himself. Um, it wasn't really kind of in my, in my realm of, of possibilities that Mike Martin Jr. was going to get fired at the very least when, when Link Jarrett took over at Notre Dame. Um, so that was obviously unfortunate. Um, but he, but he left the program in a good spot. I mean, sure. There's some guys that have entered the portal. Um, I think the most important guy, Jack Finley returns next season, which is huge. Um, and then a couple other guys like Alex Rayo, who, who went in the portal. I think there was a good chance at him coming back to Notre Dame. If he didn't go in the MLB draft, which he did, he was an eighth round pick, um, this past week. Um, I think it was to the Philadelphia Phillies, if I remember, if I remember correctly. And so I, I think Stifler is you know obviously an accomplished coach at Virginia Commonwealth um you know he made the tournament two to three times I believe um made an NCAA regional twice and a super regional once and you know has a pitching background which I think probably with a guy like Jack Finley coming back and maybe some of some other guys coming back and a few guys transferring in and and stuff like that but no, I mean, I, it's hard to say that someone's going to be able to replicate the success that Link Jarrett had at Notre Dame. Um, but I sort of attribute it to almost Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman situation. I mean, obviously, I think completely different people. Link Jarrett leaves and Notre Dame fans, I think, still really like him. It might not be the same with Brian Kelly as me and you both know. Um, but you know, both, both coaches left the programs in good spots. And I think Notre Dame made the right hire to replace each of those coaches. And I, and I expect Notre Dame baseball to, to, to have success. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go make a, you know, a college world series next year. Um, or maybe they don't even make an NCAA regional next year. Who knows? The ACC is a, a tough conference. Um, but I, but I do expect them to stay competitive. Um, and and I, I think they made a really, really good hire in Sean Stifler. And I, I think we'll see the benefits of that here in the next few years. Yeah. And I think that's probably along the same sentiment that most Irish fans are, are feeling, mm-hmm. obviously sad to see Link Jarrett go, but still happy for him um, considering the success he achieved and going to um, a program that I guess is, you know, a little bit more invested in, in their in their baseball program um and i mean hopefully the success that he was able to achieve at notre dame um can influence the athletic department of notre dame to invest a little bit more resources in the baseball program because i know they were in in need of some some upgrades to facilities and stuff like that um so i think uh with a new head coach coming in, um, maybe he'll be able to garner a little bit more support from the athletic department and have better backing to um, help them take the next step. So it will be definitely uh, very interesting to follow. Um, was a super exciting season and, and fun to kind of get into the College World Series, which isn't something I typically do as a, a casual fan, but um, it was definitely a, a lot of fun to, to watch and, and follow along. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like you said, I mean, I, I think, I think it was already kind of trending 
you know, I think Jack Swarbrick and, you know, and Link Jarrett had multiple conversations about improving, you know, the facilities and, and different aspects of the baseball program. Um, I think that those were things that were, you know, trending in the right direction. And I think with Sean Stifler, those things are only going to continue to trend in the right direction. And um, one, one more thing I didn't really touch on with the Stifler hire specifically, and he sort of touched on this in his opening press conference and his opening statement specifically, you know, he's a guy from, I think, originally in Pennsylvania, grew up Roman Catholic and, you know, grew up a Notre Dame, you know, at least a Notre Dame football fan, I guess. I mean, because that's mo- like, you, like what most people grow up as, as Roman Catholics. So, yeah, they don't necessarily think of the of the baseball program per se. But, um, you know, grew up a Notre Dame sports fan. And, you know, I unlike Link Jarrett, you know, he didn't go to some prestigious alma mater from a baseball or football or basketball standpoint. He went to George Mason, you know, ended up um, – you know, at VCU as, as, uh, as a coach. And so, I mean, you could argue that Notre Dame might be the end goal for him. Sometimes money talks, sometimes going to, you know, a bigger team talks, but I think that there's less of a likelihood that Stifler would leave Notre Dame for a, you know, a better baseball program, um, than, than Link Jarrett. And he doesn't have that built-in alma mater connection either. So I, I think we might be seeing a guy that as long as he's successful at Notre Dame, um, you're looking at a guy who might be here for a long time. Yeah. And I think we would hope so. Cause I mean, that would also indicate that he's uh, had some success on the field as well. So definitely, like I said, interesting to, f- to follow along as, as that all progresses. Um, the next topic I wanted to cover with you is what seemingly everyone is talking about these days, which is conference realignment and college football. So um, uh not too long ago, uh, USC and UCLA announced that they will be leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big Ten um, in what was a, I mean, I'd say pretty surprising announcement to to most college football fans. And, and mainly really just like thinking like logistically, uh, them being located uh, all the way in the West Coast and playing yeah. in the Big Ten. Uh, They're in seems, my territory. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Seems totally bizarre, but uh, I mean, I guess that's kind of the direction that we're we're trending in college football, where really, you know, they'll figure out a way to make it work just because the value add and the money that they're going to be able to garner in a in a media contract is just too too massive to pass up. So, um, starting there, I guess when you learned of that news, what was your initial reaction to it? I mean, it's kind of like you said. I mean, I don't think any of us were really expecting it. Um, I always kind of assumed that with all of the talk about, you know, maybe the NCAA falling apart and all these teams kind of making their own conferences and so on and so forth, that it was going to be, you know, maybe four major conferences and still relatively speaking, you know, geographically based. Um, at least as much as possible. I mean, you already see the Big Ten sort of have, you know, you have Maryland in the Big Ten, you have Rutgers in the Big Ten, you know, you got West Virginia in the Big 12. So, I mean, you already have like these, you know, oddball teams that aren't aren't really associated with that region uh, of different conferences. But yeah, no, it was obviously surprising. I wasn't expecting to wake up that morning to see, you know, two California, Southern California rivals, you know, join the big 10 and, and essentially make them, in my opinion, at least from a, I guess, a athletic royalty standpoint, maybe, you know, right up there with the sec 
um, as a as a legit power conference. I mean, obviously, uh, they're they're very good. They're very they're very good in basketball. They're very good in football. But we know that Southern schools, at least in recent memory, have have kind of dominated, you know, specifically football um, and baseball. If we want to get into that a little bit too, but you know, adding two warm weather teams. Um, and we know USC's history specifically that, you know, they can compete with anybody from a recruiting standpoint. Um, I think it was very interesting for the Big Ten and um, certainly interesting for Notre Dame, considering USC, in my opinion, is their biggest rival. Um, you know, their most longstanding rival, at least of, um, you know, of bigger names. And um, I, it's certainly a pu- I think it's certainly a push by the Big Ten to, to get Notre Dame in there. Um, that was kind of my first reaction. I was like, USC means that that the big 10 is serious about Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, and I guess I didn't really connect that, um, connect those dots instantly when I was reacting to it, that that could be a little bit of a bait for, for Notre Dame to join. Just you get to continue um, scheduling uh, one of your most historic rivals. But um, I mean, I get really what we're kind of uh, devolving into is essentially an arms race between the big 10 and the sec um the move of of texas and oklahoma last year while still super surprising um made more sense just because i mean the sec already had a a a school in texas a&m that was already in texas and arkansas is also like a little bit further west geographically so like it wasn't like a huge stretch um but uh this one I mean, really just kind of solidified the direction of major college football. Um, and of course, same, same day, this news breaking, the conversation immediately shifts to, well, what's Notre Dame going to do? Because they're independent and, you know, viewed as a quote unquote free agent in, in the space and the biggest brand of teams that could be on the move. Um, it, I mean, I guess it seems like most people, if you ask them would say that they believe Notre Dame is going to wind up in the big 10. I think the uncertainty is just how soon that will happen. Um, I know there was a story uh, that was put out, I think this week where um, it was reported that Notre Dame would be looking for uh, $75 million annually in a TV deal to remain independent. And I'm guessing that's probably sourced from someone within Notre Dame, them just wanting to get the information out of what the price tag would be to, if like a streaming service or, or one of the networks wanted to pick up Notre Dame just on its own. Uh, but um, I, I guess we, we can start here. Do you, are you, um, pretty convinced that Notre Dame at some point is going to end up in the Big Ten. You know what? I I've kind of gone back and forth on this question. I mean, part of me thinks it, it it's like a given. You know, I mean, I think I think that's what maybe the initial reaction was for a lot of people is like, hey, if Notre Dame wants to to stay to kind of stay involved, you know, they have to do it. But then you kind of sit back and think me and you as Notre Dame fans maybe understand it a bit more. I mean, you ob- and you're an alumni, so that probably even furthers the cause for you. But and and it's not really a a bias or a you know a you know a homer type of talk, but Notre Dame is 
you know, probably the biggest brand in college football. They have the the most wide base following in regards to, you know, Subway alumni and that. And, you know, as, as good as Alabama is, as good as Clemson is, Ohio State. I mean, people that are are fans of those teams, you know, typically are from that area of the country or went to school there or are from that exact state and, and so on and so forth. And for Notre Dame, and you see this on Twitter and, and stuff, you know, they, they don't, they don't have that, you know, there's Notre Dame fans everywhere. Um, There's always going to be Notre Dame fans everywhere. And so I think that there is this appeal to stay independent stay kind of true to who they are as a, as the university and what they've always been. And, you know, and they probably could get a $75 million deal, whether that's with NBC or somebody else. I mean, I know there's been rumors and you kind of mentioned it with streaming services and, you know, you've heard like the Netflix and, you know, or HBO rumors or something like that, where they maybe start streaming live games and, and what better brand to put on their network than Notre Dame to get people kind of, going to it so i'm really stuck in the middle um i'm still i will say i'm still of the opinion that they should stay independent and just essentially force teams to say you know what we got to still throw you on our schedule um because it's still such a big brand i think that they they would do it but it would not surprise me in the slightest if they kind of i don't want to say conform but you know, it just wouldn't surprise me if they ended up joining a conference, maybe just to make their life a little bit easier. Yeah. I, and one, one thing that I was ignorant about prior to all this was I didn't realize how big of a discrepancy there was in the annual payouts between the power five conferences. So like some of the reported numbers for like the sec and, and big 10 contracts are that, you know, members of those conferences are going to be earning, you know, close to around like a hundred million dollars annually. You know, if you're looking like maybe five years down the road, uh, whereas the ACC deal is locked, like it's runs, I think through 2036 or something like that. And the number annually is, you know, right around like $30 million a team. And, <laughs> that's i mean that's just like you can't um you you really can't if you're one of the major programs in the acc um that's just like it hurts too much and you really can't um justify that dif- those differences which is why you know a lot of the conversation for programs like clemson or like an fsu or a miami was that you know they are all trying to get together and figure out a way to um essentially like negotiate a buyout because I think the way, the only way that, that it seems like they'd be able to is if they purchase the, they buy out the grant of rights for what they would have made from like now until the deal runs out, which is just like an astronomically large number. Mm -hmm. Um, But at some point it's going to be almost like it's almost going to become worth it because of what you can make in a different conference. So to me, the ACC is what's the most fascinating to, to follow as, as things progress. Um, because, I mean, as we talked about, they have some big name brands. And also because Notre Dame is kind of, you know, partially affiliated, even though they don't, they're not really as restricted by that, that grant of rights deal. Um, because the, they, they're not a full member in football. They, so I think their buyout would only apply to the other sports that are members of the ACC, which is a much more manageable number. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But if the conference was to just completely collapse, then they'd be able to leave without paying anything. And I think that's what, for example, a program like Clemson is is kind of hoping for is inject some chaos into the mix so that we don't have to pay this massive buyout and we could essentially, I'm guessing for them, probably join the SEC. Yeah, and one thing that really interests me about the ACC is the, the idea that there's some really, really powerful basketball programs in that conference that don't necessarily bring the appeal of football. But obviously football drives most of the revenue, but a school like Duke or maybe even a school like Louisville, you know, those, those types of programs, North Carolina, even, even though I think North Carolina does have some appeal in football as well, um, especially with Mac Brown there, there, you know, there's, I, I think you might have a SEC or a, a big 10 or whoever might be willing to take on a, a, a school like that simply because of what it could bring to the basketball conference as well. And I, I think I'm really talking about Duke when I say it, cause they're, you know, arguably the, you know, the, the biggest brand in college basketball and, you know, consistently one of the best teams in, in, in college basketball. So, um, that really intrigues me is, is what something someone like Duke will do. Cause when you think about football, you don't really think about them. Exactly. Um, and I was listening to um, the, uh, John Skipper, who's the CEO of metal arc media talk about this. Um, and he was also talking about, and another thing that I just, again, <laughs> was ignorant about prior to this whole conversation taking place. Like really there were, the conferences are kind of looking just to add footprints in different States that they don't have um, members in currently. So a state like North Carolina, where you have Duke, North Carolina, NC state, wake um, the sec doesn't have a school in North Carolina and the big 10 doesn't have a school in North Carolina. So like that, they could see that they see that as a, a, a clear um, addition of value, both, that coupled with, you know, as you talked about some of these already like very established basketball programs and, and other athletic programs there. So, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, I feel like th- all of this is just kind of eye opening. Um, and if you couple that with, uh, developments in, in NIL, it's just the, <laughs> it feels like the whole landscape and national perspective perception of college football and college athletics in general is shifting. Um, and it's almost, it's feeling more and more like professional sports with each day, um, which honestly, I mean, considering like some of the, uh, I mean, just like the sheer like money that they make and like the product that's like out there for some of these sports. It, I mean, it's, I guess, rightfully so we could think of it that way, but it's uh, pretty pretty crazy developments that we're we're living through, and I know NIL is not where everybody wants it to be yet. Um, but I will say I'm I'm a big proponent of it, and you know it's I think a lot of people think it's going to bring bring less. Um, I, uh, there's a lot of people that you know there's already this huge gap from like the big teams, you know Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State you know, these teams win every year. Um, and, and I think people think that NIL is going to make it even worse, but I think we're actually seeing the opposite right now. We're seeing, I think USC get back to form because they have money. We're seeing a school like Texas A&M have the number one recruiting class like ever last year in football. 
you're seeing Tennessee dish out $8 million to one of the top, top QBs in the country. And maybe that brings them back to their Peyton Manning days. I don't know. And, you know, and then ironically enough, you're seeing a school like Michigan somewhat struggle on the recruiting trail, not necessarily struggle in the sense of, you know, they're probably going to end up where they usually are, um, you know, which is anywhere from like top, you know, borderline top 10 to, you know, top 15, whatever it is. But after going to the college football playoff, you usually see a little bit of boost in recruiting. I know Notre Dame saw that each year that they kind of went their recruiting classes, maybe just a tad better than it was the previous season. Um, But you're seeing a school like Michigan, who's not necessarily throwing NIL money at everybody kind of behind the eight ball um, from a recruiting standpoint. So I think there was this idea that it was going to bring, you know, less and less competition to the table, but I actually think we're, it's, proven even with not a perfect system right now that it's bringing more to the table. And I think that's even going to be more um, established as it, as it keeps. Oregon, I think it's another good example. And some people think Oregon's going to be left behind in one of these bigger deals, but with NIL money, I'm not sure that that's the case. I think they'll try to, they'll, they'll end up forcing their way into, you know, one of these bigger conferences at some point. So it's, it's certainly interesting for sure. Very much so. Um, yeah. Oregon, I saw the, that I don't know if it was if it was like legitimately like confirmed or not, but someone was I think it was someone on Twitter talking about how Phil Knight was just like on the phone for like the the days following the USC UCLA announcement, just trying to um, figure out a way for Oregon to get in either with I think either with the Big Ten or the SEC. I think he's exploring all options, but. He's just like not going to leave a single stone unturned to make sure they do not get left behind. And, and I think when uh, like a lot of the conversation too, at following the USC UCLA news was that considering just like the sheer travel that's required, it's probably likely that the big 10 has plans to at least pursue a couple of their schools from the West coast, just to give them a travel partner to um, help like work that out all logistically. So, um, and whether that be Oregon, Washington, or even Stanford, which was a little bit surprising for me to learn, but again, um, you're, you know, very close to a major city in San Francisco and also, I mean, just all of Silicon Valley, just a ton of money there in general. So um, I think even that they, even though they have not had great athletics as of late, at least in some of the major sports, because I think overall they have a, a very solid athletic department, but um, still Stanford's still very much a, a relevant brand and uh, definitely being involved in that conversation. Uh, but bottom line is just a ton of craziness and still plenty more craziness to come. <laughs> And I think when we're all said and done, I would be surprised that there's not at least one other conference to make it three um, bare minimum. That's going to be at least relevant, not necessarily, you know, to the big 10 and SEC levels. If they get, you know, if let's just say the big 10 gets Notre Dame and gets Oregon and Stanford or something like that. And the SEC gets Clemson, Florida state, Miami, whatever it may be. Um, Though I have seen some interesting talk about maybe Miami being the oddball out and joining the big 10, which would be, would certainly would be interesting. Um, But regardless, you know, I think you can probably still put together a pretty good conference of the teams left out. 
And, and let's just say maybe Oregon is one of those teams left out. Maybe Miami, for whatever reason, is one of those teams left out. And, you know, all of a sudden they join some of the teams from the Big 12 and they bring in the other teams from the, you know, from the, the, the Pac-12 or, you know, you add a Cincinnati or something like that and a, a UCF and certain this ability to improve their recruiting pitch to, 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 to kids if they are in a quote unquote bigger conference, it it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if, if those schools are, you know, maybe going to end up being that third big conference, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to agree just because that like, I mean, if you are looking top to bottom, even in like the, the big 10 and sec at the bottom of those conferences, you have programs that aren't really better than, you know, a good deal of some of the programs in the big 12 or some that are left over in the pac 12 or in the ACC. So there's still enough, there still should be plenty of quality left to form a third um, unless the big 10 and sec just become too powerful where they have enough influence in like shaping um, for example, like the, the college football playoff, maybe they're able to secure auto bids for, um, like multiple teams from their conferences just because they can make an argument of the quality of their teams on average or something like that. But um, I think that only that would be really the only thing that would uh, deter a, a third conference from being in the, in the picture or maybe just everything just merges and it's just, <laughs> and it's yeah. just one major conference and in effect, you have no conferences at all. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It feels like anything is really possible if you talk about it long enough, really. Yeah. You, you just see all these rumors that, you know, in reality, they still want to have kind of like a big 64, you know, a lot of it has to do with the college basketball and, and March madness being so popular and just different things like that. So you still want to be able to have that. And, you know, I, I just don't see 64 teams making up two conferences. That's just too many teams. And, you know, how many, like you said, like, are you really going to have, you know, 32 teams in each conference and have three auto bids from each conference? It just doesn't seem very plausible. So you break that up into three or four. And, you know, I think that that's going to help with parity. And, you know, you, you're going to see a team like Cincinnati or Louisville or, you know, maybe a Duke, like I said, possibly gets left out or Oregon, Stanford. I mean, like I said, we can just name teams that have, are pretty well-established brands overall, and they join a third or even like a third and a fourth conference. And I think you're going to start seeing recruits from both basketball and football specifically that are like, you know what, like that, those two conferences are going to get auto bids into whatever this is going to become. So we have just as much opportunity to make a college football playoff or win a national championship if we establish something in those conferences as the Big Ten and the SEC. So I think there's a really interesting opportunity to to have those programs sort of pitch that and and kids end up there and you know and they and they and they end up successful conferences because of it. Um, but what I do think is going to happen is you are going to weed off or weed out some of those smaller level schools and, and you're going to get some of these schools that maybe had the potential to join a bigger conference. And I I can maybe just use UNLV as an example, since I'm from Vegas and the Vegas brand is actually a UNLV could just never get over the hump in football and they still can't. 
you know, UNLV is going to be one of those teams that if they don't get their act together in football very soon, you know, they're never going to have an opportunity to, to have a, a legit piece of the pie where, you know, 15 years ago, or even as little as five to 10 years ago, there's, there were rumors that, you know, they could possibly be a team that joins the PAC 12 or the big 12 and have that opportunity. And, and I think you're going to start seeing some of those teams that, that never have that opportunity because of this new expansion or, or maybe expansion is the wrong word. It's more of a, um, more of a division, I guess. So, um, I think that's really what it's going to come down to. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I get the feeling that this might not be our last podcast that covers the topic of conference realignment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I doubt it. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, again, I feel, it feels like there's new news each week. Uh, and I mean, it's still like this stuff, like it takes time to put, be put into effect. So, um, like you know a lot can change over the the course of you know the next few months or years um and i mean i'm sure it's probably gonna be a common thread throughout the throughout the course of the the upcoming football season as as things progress and we we learn more and more um but one last thing i did want to talk with you about before we wrap up here is um there was an open practice held by the notre dame men's basketball team and uh, I saw some of the beat reporters uh, talking about just their general takeaways from, from watching it and a uh, fair amount of buzz uh, for the incoming freshman JJ Starling and Van Allen Lubin. And I saw, uh, I think it was Matt Freeman tweeted out a, a video of some clips of JJ Starling and he, you know, threw down a, a windmill dunk and was making like a, a few tough contested baskets at the rim. Um, so any, I guess your reaction to, to some of that and um, I guess general excitement level for, for these two guys that are joining the team. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, I mean, obviously JJ Starling was a five-star recruit was a probably Mike Bray's biggest win on the recruiting trail ever. Um, I mean, you guys, you have like guys like Demetrius Jackson and, you know, DJ Harvey and, and Cam B back in the day that, you know, were huge wins and, and stuff like that. But JJ Starling, even though he transferred into a powerhouse in Indiana, that was only 90 minutes away from Notre Dame. He's not from that area. He's from New York. And, you know, a kid like that, who's at a, you know, who, who becomes a five-star and was essentially a five-star his the whole process. You usually see that kid go to Syracuse or go to Duke or go to North Carolina or end up just at a, a bigger brand of basketball. Um, so a big recruiting win there. So I don't think there's really any surprise that he is as good as advertised or at least looks as good as advertised. Uh, I always felt that he was going to start or at least be very prominent from day one at, at Notre Dame, possibly even be their first one and done until Blake Wesley proved me wrong on that. Um, you know, this year, not going to be an NBA player because I did think that eventually, but I don't, I didn't think he was going to be a one and done player, at least when he first arrived on campus. Um, and I think his recruiting ranking probably probably uh, swayed my opinion a little bit on that, even though I thought he was not properly ranked coming out of high school. But but yeah, um, you know, I was actually joking around with a buddy of mine who also follows Notre Dame basketball pretty religiously. It wasn't a shot at Pete Sampson. It was more of a joke than anything. Um, but Sampson kind of tweeted something out about how he expected Lubin and Starling to possibly be in the rotation next year. And I think it was also something that Mike Bray pointed to. And I was joking with him because I was 
that Van Allen Lubin is going to be a prominent player as a freshman for like almost a year now. And now all of a sudden it's getting buzzed because Pete Sampson throws it out on Twitter. And I was like, man, if only people, if only I had more Twitter followers, more people would have known. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I just, I was too athletic, um, you know, not the type of typically get in. Um, I mean, they've had some good big men in the past. I mean, obviously we've seen it with guys like Bonzi Colson and John Mooney and, you know, going back a little bit farther, like Jack Cooley, Luke Herringote, you know, Zach August. I mean, guys that have been very successful big men, but they don't typically have that guy who's just a better, who's going to out athlete the other guy that they're playing or the opponent that they're playing. And, and Van Allen Lubin, I think fits that description. He's a kid that I think has the potential to be a first round pick one day. Um, I doubt it's going to be after year one, but again, Blake Wesley proved us wrong once. So maybe Van Allen Lubin is a one and done player. Who knows? Um, I think there's still some refinement to his game that he probably, you know, needs to get before he gets there. So I could ease, but I could easily see him, see him being like a, a two and done first rounder or maybe a a three-year kid that ends up a first rounder you see those guys go in the back half of the first round all the time especially as they develop um so yeah i mean i think mike bray for a guy that you know was maybe on the hot seat um having a year where they got back to the ncaa tournament won a few games almost made the elite eight or sweet 16 i think because i, I always forget about the playing game and um you know, and then bring in a really solid recruiting class obviously helped his billing um, to, to kind of stay at Notre Dame. And uh, I think this is a recruiting class unlike, I mean, I guess you could argue the Dane Goodwin, Lasheski, Carmody class didn't really live up to its billing 100%. Um, maybe towards the end of it, it did. But, you know, I, I think this is a class that's really going to live up to the billing. And I, I wouldn't count out Dom Campbell as well. I'm not sure he's going to be a kid that's going to, be a guy from day one. He probably has some, um, some body reshaping still left to do and, and some conditioning and stuff like that before he can really be a, a contributor. But I think he's going to be a, a pretty damn good college basketball player when it's all said and done as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really promising to see um, the way that things are trending, at least as of, as of recently for, for Bray and the basketball program. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm, I'm super excited to see JJ Starling in action this season. He, he looks absolutely electric um, and they have all the pieces necessary to make another, another trip to the tournament. Um, hopefully they can um, make that happen because again, like we're talking about how it's exciting for even casual fans to, to turn on the college world series. I mean, nothing beats March madness is one of the best sporting events in in college athletics and I guess greater athletics in general, if you want to make that argument, but yeah, really uh, promising to see um, some good, uh, good reporting coming from, from some of those guys uh, in their early stages with the team. Yeah. And, and I would actually make the argument that they improved their, you know, their backcourt, you know, you, you lose a guy like hub and you lose a guy like Blake Wesley going into year two, you wouldn't necessarily assume that that they would be better. Um, but when you look at it from, I guess, just last year to this year, not necessarily like the progress that a guy like Wesley would have made in a second year, if that makes sense, but just looking at last year's front backcourt the way it was and now looking at this year's backcourt, 
I mean, I think you can make an argument it's the best in the country. You bring in a five-star freshman who could be a one-and-done. You bring in Cormac Ryan, who really, really turned it on. for, Or you have Cormac Ryan back, I should say, that you know he was the guy that really turned it on towards the end of the season last year, was probably their best player, to be honest with you, like the last you know, third of the season, I would argue. You have Trey Wirtz back, who's a, a, a three-point specialist. Dane Goodwin is kind of a guard-forward combo, but one of the best shooters in the country. And then you bring in an experienced guard and Marcus Hammond. I would argue that Marcus Hammond, J.J. Starling, is better than freshman Blake Wesley and a senior Prentice Hub that never really lived up to the billing that people thought he was going to be. And so that that's what really excites me is just the backcourt specifically – you know, and then coupled that with, you know, obviously Leshevsky coming back is huge. And, you know, hopefully Van Allen Lubin can help replace the loss of Paul Atkinson. Cause that's, I think that's probably where I get worried the most is that the, the big men can, can be at a little bit of a disadvantage, but then you hope a guy like Zona can come in and give you some minutes. Uh, maybe Dom, Dom Campbell can, can come in and bring, give you some minutes as well, but backcourt, very, very promising front court, I think is still a little bit, uh, you know, maybe let like a little bit more to be left to be desired, if that makes any sense. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out, but I'm, I'm certainly excited about the, the four round one looks that, that Bray, that Bray usually loves. Well, you heard it here first folks. Notre Dame basketball has the best backcourt in the country, according to Nathan. <laughs> it's I up mean, maybe, it's up maybe, yeah, maybe a l- little, a little bit of a hot take, but um, honestly, like, I, I don't think you're all that far off. I think they have a, a ton of like quality depth and uh, um, you also get a very exciting player like Starling who Notre Dame typically doesn't have. Um, yeah. And I think surrounding him with some more experienced guys, uh, it's kind of could be like the perfect mix. So, and that's really stuff. why, that's really why I say it. If they don't have Starling, I don't even make that because the other, like, I think they would have a very quality one with the, with the guys returning plus adding Hammond. I think that's a really, really good, you know, just college backcourt. And I think you have to include Goodwin in that mix. Cause I think in general, he's more of a shooting guard, even though he has to help out another, kind of like a Pat Connaughton did. Um, but, you know, you add a guy like Starling, who's a legit five-star, could be a legit one-and-done player, maybe the best shooter, you know, or one of the best shooters in the country. Um, you know, he, he's a, an arguably very special player um, from, from year one. And, and I think that's really what puts it over the top is, as, again, maybe not the best backcourt in the country, but, but certainly right up there with the best. Don't walk it back, man. Stand your ground. <laughs> I'd have to do a little bit more research on some of the other backcourts. I, I mean, my, when, I, when I tweet out this this podcast episode, I'm definitely uh, quoting that and, in the description. <laughs> I'll back it up. Yeah. Well, Nathan, uh, thank you uh, for being so generous with your time and, and joining the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely, Jack. I'll have you on here on the Golden Homers once I get back up and running. Sounds great, man. Talk to you soon. You too. Thanks again to Nathan Erbuck for taking the time to join the podcast today. As we mentioned, he also hosts a podcast called The Golden Homers, so be sure to check that out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find him on Twitter at Nathan underscore Erbach, and I'll be sure to include his handle in the show notes of this podcast episode. If you are enjoying the Slauncher Out, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Any feedback is greatly appreciated.
Until next time, go Irish.